Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. And let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. Apple's annual conference was this week. What do they call it? Do they call it anything? Uh, there's, no, I don't even know. No, I have no idea. And so tons of excitements generated. But what I have been doing, and I've been reading a lot about this, is analyzing the communication style of Apple because it's been the exact same formula for the past six, seven, eight, well, basically since Steve Jobs, so 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <clears throat> usually what happens is Tim Cook comes out, gives a little spiel, they put a lot of videos in there, but you know, for how I, I'm taking this information is I'm looking at doing presentations. It's extremely emotive. It's it, and they repeat the exact same phrases. So what they do, it's obvious. They sit in a room and say, "Here's the phrase we're gonna say 100 times," and it's very short. And I'll read. So I took notes. I'll read what they say. The most powerful and advanced iPhones we have ever built with a stunning new design. So that's Tim Cook said that a lot. And so that's that he says that over and over and then it's on their website once they post it. So this communication, everybody uses that exact and it's very concise, very short. And that's definitely Steve Jobs. The more I read about it, that's something he was just fanatical about Mm -hmm. was you need to be as concise as possible and communicate from a high level. This is the best iPhone we've ever made. You know, that's, I mean, that just sounds like everything they've ever said. Yeah. And so they say kind of big picture, this is the best iPhone we've ever made. They, he brings somebody in to go through all the details. Once those details are vetted through, they come back to Tim and he summarizes again and says the exact same thing. So he kind of has these 22 to 100 character sayings about every thing. So the big thing this year was Apple TV Plus, which is like a subscription. Their competitive their competition to Netflix and Disney original content and... they're starting to provide for sure. Oh really? So they're they're going to create content too. Yeah, this is all Apple exclusive content. Wow. Yeah, so they're really making a splash. Again, it's a short communicate, very emotive. This is the this is the best thing, or we have the best minds. Cre- and I don't exactly have the language here, but again, it's they use very expressive tones and they repeat it. And they basically tell you what to think. This is the best iPhone we've ever made, and they they this is the best iPhone you'll ever. Touch. Yeah, and they've said that every single year mm-hmm. at the release of every iPhone. Easily, and it works. And they use one number. And, they don't, and they're not lying. It is, you know, I mean. And they di- one thing that I found fascinating is they distill down uh, everything into one number, one simple number. So you see, you know, I come from the consulting world and we have 50-page slide decks. Yeah. They have, this iPhone is four times faster. The iPhone has six times the battery life well and what they're giving their audience are sound bites that they can repeat to people exactly this apple is for you know four times faster is different than you know the however many megabyte processor that it currently has or whatever for sure they don't go into any details but what they do is distill 
one of you know they take all of those numbers and distill it into one thing and yeah i know they can back up everything they do but i found that interesting because i've looked at my presentations and there are so many damn numbers a lot of numbers (laughs) and i can see how people would get confused so i'm trying to take something out of apple's book here and figure out a way to make it more simple i'm not going to walk around I don't think and say this is the best product you've ever touched in your entire life. I'm not. Well, yeah, you don't have the reputation Mm -hmm. and you know track record for something like that. But I understand what you're saying. No, but I still think it is really, really important to follow the framework. And I'll just give you the three bullet points: is focus on the most important feature. You know that people can really hold on to, like battery life, one whole day. Stick to one big number and then keep it short. So those are the three kind of bullet points mm-hmm. that we that mm-hmm. I get out of it. That's cool. When I caught my first developer conference after, because um, uh, that's what it's called. It's the Worldwide Developer Conference. And then the, on the last day or whatever, they do the reveal of the iPhone. Or, um, but I watched Tim Cook deliver... And I always thought he tried to kind of do his intimidate his imitation of Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first it felt very inauthentic to me because I was like, this communication style was this man's, you know? Steve Jobs. Yeah, it wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily like the communication style of Apple. And what's interesting is it has become the communication style because you go on and you watch the engineers and the product people and they don't have that same they try to do a little bit of it they do a little bit but, but they, they don't really they're don't. not as not as yeah they're definitely not they're, as they're not as short they're not as, as emotive they're emotive, like yeah. so tim cook and steve jobs were so they're like one word at a time you know like it is the best you know they're really mm-hmm. slow they're yep. emphatic uh and i i thought it was i thought it was inauthentic at first but it would be very interesting to see what happens after tim cook if the new leader decides to maintain that sort of style of delivery and if it becomes like the ongoing sort of legacy of steve jobs or if it's something that is just gonna die because um I don't think so. So here's my two cents on that. So it seemed like it was a hierarchy, the slower or less words they used. So the developers, some of them went way into detail. But then the ones that were kind of, let's just say senior, whatever level, you know, VP, like the old John Ivey type guys, they were a step below, but not as... You know, like this is the most, the best I, you know, his. This he's, camera yeah. has so many megapixels. And then they would, just, and then they'd go into a little bit more detail, but it just, to me, it seemed like they're, it's very hierarchical there. And it's like, in order for you to get to the next level, which is speaking really slowly, you need to be an executive. Sure. You can, you can only sure. speak, you have to speak at this pace. So like in the job description, they're like, mm-hmm. during the conferences, that means you are now officially able to go down to yeah, you, you can, know 40 one words word, per minute one whatever. word per one minute one word per 10 seconds yeah. you know yeah we're going to you can you can hit the apple pace there's the steve's jobs pace the well, the yeah. vp pace i also think it's interesting how they do the apple conferences in the fall hmm. um, yeah 
because one, obviously you have the consumerism associated with holiday season, you know, it's a no brainer. Um, but two, what happens, and I feel like I've been noticing this in my own life, um, is like fall really represents a, a death, you know, like a change in cycle, the leaves are turning, um, things are going into hibernation and I think the change of the seasons is also brings about like personality um, changes too, where all of a sudden we become more aware of our own like letting go situations and deaths within ourselves. And mm-hmm. those have been really apparent for me in a multitude of different areas. And, and one will get there, but I wanted to ask, how is your sleep? Because I, I often find around the change of the season or the equinox, my sleep gets disrupted. My sleep has been really good, but that's because I've been focusing on, you know, I've been trying to keep up good sleep habits Mm -hmm. and my sleep has actually gotten better for me. But that's again, I think we're just different people Yeah, and we respond differently. Totally. I was, I was just curious. And Mm -hmm. so um, this whole, this whole idea of letting go though, it's a, like I, I'm feeling it really strongly in my job. And one of the things I've probably said before is I really respect this gentleman who I used to work with, who said uh, as a consultant, he said, my job is to work myself out of a job. That's how I know if I've done a really good job, if I've done enough for the organization and company that they don't need me anymore. It's so that means I've, I've done tons of stuff to set up their, whatever it is, you know, Mm -hmm. their technology, their operations. And I've been seeing that in one of my client engagements where like I'm having a letting go of responsibilities. And as a, as a consultant that can be unnerving when, you know, you're like, okay, I see this project coming to a close. That means you kind of have to get new business. Yeah. You got to go out and generate new business, which is, you know, very much within the realm of possibility, but there's like a letting go that occurs there when you're like, this relationship is wrapping up. And it's, I think there's a lot of self-reflection that goes on in that period. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering if, you know, you have been sort of feeling that self-reflective component. Um, because if you look at the life cycle of seasons, typically what happens is, um, the fall is the letting go portion the winter is the more sort of self-reflection hibernation like regeneration almost yeah spring is obviously you know energy energy launch bud and summer is sort of like sustaining sort of just like um consistency yep there's like turmoil in the fall and turmoil in the spring from the death and the oh yeah for sure Mm -hmm. and uh, i was talking about that with one of my buddies who was born in the spring and he was like yeah man you know you, do you ever feel that anxiety that anxiety of spring which i think there's also um a certain anxiety with fall but it's less intense for me mm-hmm. because i think there's the ending of a life cycle rather than like the beginning and so it takes the form of like letting go versus trying to be the first one out of the starting gate Yep. But it's a different anxiety when you're letting go. Yeah. it's. A, I mean, letting go is often the one of the harder parts. I think 
culturally, I think we have a little more difficulty letting go because I think that's something we're trained. We just don't want to do. I mean, we are focused on starting new things and keeping things going and friendships. You want to make sure they last and, you know, Oh, I don't want to leave this and I will remember this day for the rest of my life. And I want to do these things. And it's really interesting. You say letting go, because that's something that I've been trying to do. And I think it's caused me to have a lot more, I think, uh, coherence in my day. And, and what I'm talking about is like, say somebody honked at me and I get, got angered in the moment. I've been focusing on leaving those emotions back where they were. Sure. And that's something that to me has been very interesting because I'm more of a visual person to try to visualize that letting go back in that position and maybe it is because it's fall. I think I've been really focusing intently on it. It's been working for me a lot better mm-hmm. and trying to leave my emotions behind. And I have noticed it is a time where I'm probably more apt to let things go. I think that's for me because the weather's been changing. I mean, today is what, 60 degrees and dreary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it allows you a little bit more time to reflect and think and process is this happen is this the right thing for now should i is it worth my energy mm-hmm. you know yeah well and there's a huge reason for that is because if you think about like being our ancestors and planning <clears throat> and planning for a long hard winter yeah you'd be like am i really going to get in a fight with this guy and risk <laughs> me not being able to go out to the fields and you for know, sure get one last harvest of whatever that might be because that might be mean our family dies or what you know i mean it's just yeah it's energy management is so key to survival mm-hmm. whereas today we but don't we don't have, have those cycles we well, have no we don't and i don't think we honor those cycles no. as much because i think we kind of constantly want to be turned on it's interesting. So I've been really getting into that HRV and I know I've talked about it on the last two podcasts, but what they talked about is um, HRV allows people the ability to say now is a time of rest. And people, and he said, stress is the number. You know, I think it's like 75% of all conditions have, have something with stress as a functional medicine doc that was talking with Dr. Eldrick Taylor. Mm. And what we have a really hard time of doing is basically the brake. So you have the go, you have the, the, the gas pedal and you have the brake and your parasympathetic is the brake. And we don't have a good parasympathetic or braking system. So we really struggle with letting go. And that's why we're in a constant state of stress Yeah, because we don't know how to stop things and we don't know how to slow things down and let things go and say, is this really worth my time? We just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and then struggle to even find the space to say, is this worth my time or not? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ellen Langer, some who some people call the mother of mindfulness, who's done a bunch of really interesting research at Harvard. One of her most interesting projects, I think, is she took um, a bunch of old men that uh, were probably 75 to 85 and put them in, well, and then did a bunch of biometric screenings, gait, blood pressure, weight, um, some psychological tests, memory, cognition, um, uh, reaction time, and then put them in a environment that simulated the 1970s for like 30 50s. days. 
or 1950s. 50s, yeah, so 50s. yeah, and that was when they were like 20 or 30 or some age they were trying to get to. Yeah, and their their uh, all of their psychological symptoms improved, or and their physiological drastically, sim- drastically improved, it was which like I thought was fascinating. Significantly, improved. like thinking that you're younger actually makes you. And she, they like listen to the same music that they listen to. They tried to talk about the football games. Mm-hmm. Basically, simulated them being younger, and they became younger from a you know, a health standpoint, their risk, you know, the coronary heart risk went down. All, everything pointed to positive, which is just mm-hmm. a fascinating study on the human mind and the body. When she went as far to say that she believes every disease in our society is associated with uh, a lack of mindfulness. And I would agree with that. I mean, that's a super bold statement. It is. I mean, for my... I you know, think it I, gives me enough hope to think there is such a strong correlation there because you think of the behaviors that we do every day. In my life, I've seen a very big change. Well, think about how the adolescent, though, that suggests human beings are because that ultimately suggests that we control our own destiny over essentially the disease progression in our the disease well, progression in our lives i don't think control i think influence, influence is the right word yes yes but it it signals to me how adolescent we are at influencing our we are i our, mean that's i i think there's so many so there's a lot of those kind of witchcraft people running around saying you know you can think your disease sure, to yeah, a cure and some yeah. of them claim to be successful i mean to me the placebo effect is something i'm always fascinated with well and to bring this back to steve jobs actually there was a recent study that i read today about how an overabundance of fructose in the diet can lead to pancreatic cancer mm-hmm. and he died of pancreatic pancreatic cancer. oh yeah the guy that yeah and he was on a all fruit diet when he was like near the end of his life that was his thing he was like experimenting with these radical new forms of um of, of consumption and i just thought that was so interesting to be like wow i mean well i mean he's a guy that probably surrounds his mind with pancreatic cancer you think of that's all he's thinking about obsessing about i mean it's like they call it you know eckhart tolle talks a lot about like the war on drugs the war on crime every time you the war on cancer every time you you put light into something and say it's me versus this. It gives that thing that thing power power yeah. over you because that now you basically say it's uh, something. Mm-hmm. You know, you give mm-hmm. it meaning, and you give it you know you give it energy so it can can you know you you water it so it can grow. Yeah, one hundred percent. And you know, you, you talked uh, a couple weeks ago about the David Allen book, was it? Yeah, getting things done. Getting things done. And have you listened to the podcast that he did with Ferris? I did. I didn't know. I was so shocked. About him. I was thrilled. I was so shocked. Yeah. Because what, what shocked you about it? Well, based on what you said, I thought he was going to be so much more of like a taskmaster and a um, just like a square. I don't, not even a square. I just thought that he was going to be more of a Tony Robbins style. Like, I mean, he, his t- the title of his book is Getting Things Done. I, oh, I know. I so know. I thought he would be way more uh, militant, isn't the right word, but, um, and, and disciplined is probably the right word. And what you find out through, um, 
listening to the podcast is that he's disciplined in an entirely different way in a non authoritarian a non well he's sort like, of masculine and non exactly it's a non-traditional form of discipline and then when he freedom. talks it's yeah, freedom yeah and then when he talks about using that discipline as a tool to obtain more freedom and it's up to you with what you want to do with that freedom i i, I thought that was some next level stuff and tim it was is. even kind of like what do i do with this yeah but this is so <laughs> you know, good i mean he's he so was, advanced he's so out well, there so his yeah. in his model for me so i've been obsessing about productivity and all of these things it makes so much sense i mean he goes as far in the podcast to say anxiety and depression is caused by not completing your commitments or your agreements yeah with i like that point yeah i re and i can really resonate with that because i have been doing this and so when we're kind of planning our wedding, we've been doing that, you know, just all the fun that goes along with that. It's a lot of fun. I used the tactics and was like, let's just get it all down. Text me every time something comes into your mind. And what do you know? We did it. And now we both feel so much better to mm -hmm. the point where it's like a release of energy. And, I, you know, we were talking about like, what is your fear? I, I was talking to my significant other and she was like, oh, man, my, I'm just afraid I'm going to miss something. I'm afraid I'm not going to do something. I'm afraid I'm going to, you know, that was the fear was that I'm going to not remember something. Well, when it's in a system that gives you basically no way around remembering things, you are confident in it, that stress is alleviated. Well, and system is even giving it more of a hierarchy than I would think is really necessary. What yeah, you're, you're really right. giving it is a net. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're just dumping it in <laughs> system a is making, net. Well, yeah. You the can, system is what you do then yeah, with yeah. the content that is up in the net mm -hmm. and how you accomplish that. And I organize it. Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting when he was talking about the mind is not meant to store material, which is so odd because it, every that's not something we have ever been. Taught. Nobody's ever said that. I've never, and that's why when I read the book, I was just it was like a one of those lightning moments where you're just kind of like, this is something I've missed. And it makes sense. So much more sense. And it's like, yeah, he's right. The point was that the mind is an idea generation tool. Mm -hmm. not, it's a connector. It's a connector. It's not a. So you have. It's not a store of it's information. Not some, it's not a, re, a recall machine, which is what we're taught in education to. Hey, what's the capital of Washington? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, Google oh it. Oh my god! You know, and I think with our advancement in our technology and tools, it's really bringing light to what is the brain best at, and how do you form tools around your brain to make it optimized and do what it should be doing. Which maybe ten, twenty years ago, we did not have the tools or the knowledge to understand. That's not what our brain's good at. And I, I just think for me, that's been so powerful in my work life to just try to organize myself that way and put everything down in one space and send emails. And you can just feel the productivity. You renegotiate with yourself. I don't need to do this today. I'm going to do this tomorrow. And you just feel better about it. And the book Getting Things Done is 12 bucks. I, I mean, if you're I would recommend reading it. I think the podcast with Tim Ferriss and David Allen is a great one to listen to just to kind of get used to it. And, you know, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. I just think it's 
from from me it's been very beneficial from a work and even a like a personal side you know there's engagement parties there's weddings there's all these things you got to plan and i feel like they're my everything that i've thought of comes out and isn't lost which is kind of the fear you have is like oh i got to remember that i got to remember that like for me it's i'm driving and i just go hey siri make a note and evernote and then boom and i yeah. use it there evernote's been kind of my tool of use there and it's pretty inexpensive and works well with email i think the people with evernote just uh basically saddled up with david allen and followed him into the into the the productivity highway um yeah that's uh that's interesting i just read an article about um that was in the atlantic about how neuroscience has kind of debunked a previous landmark scientific study about how free will could potentially exist Mm -hmm. and essentially uh this german um this german guy did this experiment where they were monitoring connections in the brain when they would show people stimuli so they would show them like a a certain thing on a screen and ask them to tap their finger and then they were measuring response times and activity in the brain Mm -hmm. and um there's this sort of gap called the and i'm going to just butcher this so i apologize berichjof berichjof potential it's Joff potential <laughs> and, <laughs> I like and it's basically like this uh, sort of parabolic type of it's it's a sort of a long tail parabolic so on the left hand side you have this sort of excitation potential energy that is required in order to um, have reached the threshold of like enough electronic activity in the brain in Mm -hmm. order to prompt that finger response and so his whole theory was like well there's like this load up period in the brain Mm -hmm. that suggests that that's the time when humans are like assessing information and able to interpret something and then like they're the ones who are able to actually tap their finger and like oh yeah now that's the stimuli and it was a very repeatable and um measurable like amount of time between stimulus and a, a person deciding to do something so his conclusion was that like human beings can decide what they do in their life really yeah, because there's like yeah. this, so there's no sort of activity until you reach the threshold and it's at a repeatable time from when an individual sees the stimuli, which would suggest like we have some sort of control over our ability to act. Mm-hmm. And then his study was basically debunked by saying that the task required was too remedial, was not complicated enough to actually allow for that like load up time to occur because that load up time is also necessary for like longer form Mm. uh, decision making suggesting that it may just be the reaction time not actually the ability to like think and generate that thought yourself process yep 
Yeah, so the conclusion from the study was essentially like, well, it's looking less and less like you are a free actor and more like you are a free a free a free observer of sort of like the course of things. Which I think is super interesting because uh the uh Muslims actually have this idea which is um human beings are not the actor in any situation like a human being doesn't have free will a human being only has the ability to observe what god is doing Mm -hmm. and they say everything that you think and you see and you observe it's all just you watching god act and you're sort of just you're you're really you're watching like you're not the one who picks up the cup on the table god is the one who picks up the cup you just happen to be witness to this miracle that is god picking up the cup which this study would suggest it reality could be more of that observational thing Mm -hmm. which i think is really interesting because speaking of you know kind of letting go and control mm-hmm. I mean, we have been so much of at the focal point of you have control over your existence mm-hmm. you can influence and you know take life by the horns that sort of thing and then you've got you know this uh david allen guy talking about letting go and how like you know we're not really the source of all of this sort of control and energy and it's that and nuts it is nuts and it also is like the it's just very representative of like a shift. Well, the ta- uh, shift in thinking. Yeah. And I think the Tao. So if you read like the Tao Te Ching, I've mm-hmm. been into that book right now. And that is all. I mean, that's what they are so huge on is you don't have control. You are just basically going down a river and you are paddling and it's going one way and you can either paddle upstream or you can continue to go down and. You know, it's going to be the, the, what I've taken from it is it's a lot easier to just continue paddling and let go of things and, you know, enjoy the ride and smile and enjoy the time you're here instead of trying to change, you know, and be further down the river or, you know, I want to go back to that part of the river. I love that part of the river. It's just, where are you going? And that's what I love about the Tao um, mindset. And it's so interesting that David Allen, you bring that up because I've been, I read David Allen and maybe that's because I, maybe he gets you interested in these Tao things and then you move on into the Tao thinking. But for me, it really, that was something that really was like a kind of a, it's been a very impactful for my life and pos- in a positive way. Well, that's good. I mean, uh, enjoyable topic, but let's move on to this other one, which is a very interesting idea. Uh, why don't you talk about these relationships? So we've been, I've had a lot of this discussion with a few different people and it's about emotionally abusive relationships. So psychologically abusive. And I think our, our law and our country does a poor job of equating for what is emotional abuse and how does it impact the other human being? So well, there's before we even get there, there that is a, such an interesting topic in and of itself because you talk about the Me Too movement, which is like sexual emotional abuse in a lot of senses. Mm-hmm, for sure. 
and now you're talking about a potential new frontier of this, which emotional abuse has very much been a part of social, um, you know, social work for a long time. I don't think it is a widespread, it's not a topic that people are talking about. No, it's not. And I think people are experiencing it and maybe we don't know it is abuse or it's, it's to the level of abuse. You know, because when we hear abuse, you think of punching somebody or like slapping somebody, hitting somebody. But emotional abuse is, you know, basically like you lock somebody in a in you can lock somebody or you treat them. You never make that you never let them have the ability to make a decision. You tell them they're a crappy person all the time. You know, I think when when you look at some of these physically abusive cases, emotional abuse is almost more hurtful than physical abuse because it's the emotion of a physical act is part of it. Uh, and I, I just think I've been talking to some friends and it happens both ways, female to male and male to female. And I'm sure male to male, female to female. But I think our culture hasn't quite reached that point of Yes, me too is part of it, but are we going to maybe even go a step further and talk about the way we abuse each other with our emotion and take advantage of people's weak points? And well, can you can you make this a little more concrete, just for the sake of conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> we're we're um, there's a friend of ours that is in what seems like a relationship like this. And, and how do you know? I mean, the the sign that 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 got me is when somebody said, "I feel like I am never wrong, and it's always my fault. Everything is that person's fault. Whether it's you didn't respond to a text message quick enough, you didn't, uh, you didn't do this right. It, they're always wrong. And yes, there's a perception of being wrong, but I think you can also make somebody feel like that and this continuance of it is emotional abuse and it's and this is what we've been discussing is like what is emotional abuse and what isn't like what level and making somebody feel this inferior is something that somebody can be doing and that's to me that seems like abuse because it seems like you're not allowing the other person to have the freedom of making a decision you're not you're not allowing them the space to be themselves Mm -hmm. you're getting in the way of their free will and i I think that you know to me maybe it's too early to start the conversation but i've been just hearing more examples of this even at work you think of like bosses that are you know constantly degrading people and yeah this could be the whole like oh you're such a millennial get over it's like well no i think this is a real problem that we're just glossing over because it's like oh i'm gonna pound my chest and act like i'm this visionary leader and then you look at what what do alpha alphas we looked at alphas a a while ago what do they really do they really care about the people around them they're not the ones that are kicking doors down and you know they were the ones that are making sure everybody's fed and you know fending off others and letting others feed and things like that so i just think this emotional abuse topic is something you know of course it's very early for us to discuss, but I just think it's something that's been on my mind quite a bit lately. Mm-hmm. 
you know, what is, mm-hmm. what constitutes as emotional abuse and what doesn't, I think the, de- the definition is very murky, is super murky. And it's really hard to just say, oh, you know, it's whatever you define it is. Well, it's, it can't be that it's, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you are pretty right about any time. Well, I mean, a statement like, I just feel like I can't make a decision, mm-hmm. you know, that would that to me if somebody said that i would be like well uh i mean do you want to keep staying in that situation mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like what well, and that's, is and, keeping you there like cause, well the hard thing about that is remember our father had that really good ted talk that talked about people who were so it's like women and battered women shelters and he just said well why didn't you leave them and yeah, they were like yeah, you have no idea yeah what it's like to live in this situation. And I have heard this same thing from this kind of emotionally abusive example is it's really difficult to leave. And it's mm-hmm. not like, Oh, just pick up your things and go. It's like, well, well my then entire the life. And then there's the yo-yo effect of mm-hmm. perhaps they bring them in and are, you know, Oh, everything's fine. And you think it's going to be okay. And then here you go back Bam. to the same sort mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in, so that's what for me is really interesting is how are we going to approach this as a society? I just don't think we're quite there yet. Well, I think um, giving people the language is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about it, uh, giving people the language is important because I don't even, I am very unskilled at even talking about what words or phrases you would use, but something me like too. Yeah. when somebody would say to me, you know, I feel like I can't make a decision. I feel like I'm always wrong. I feel like I'm inferior. Those would be trigger points or trigger words that if I were a listener, I would be like, okay, that sounds like a potentially abusive relationship. I think you're right. I think for me, stories, like hearing people tell stories of relationships that they've experienced or, because I think that when you hear those women's stories of, you know, these men that were abusive at work, that really kind of lends your eye into like what is really happening in there. I think stories are just so powerful. And so I think this emotional abuse, you'd have to kind of understand through stories. And like listening to our father's Ted talk when he says, you know, this is, I, I just listened to these women that were in these relationships and that's how I understood what. Well, and it, and it wasn't even the understanding. It mm-hmm. was just the fact that he listened and For gave sure. them the respect, which unlocked sort of the thinking mm-hmm. in themselves to realize, because ultimately you cannot really change the people's behavior. It's just a futile <laughs> effort. There's no reason even I found my, I mean, that was a mistake I just made in, in going immediately to advice giving about, you know, mm-hmm. well, why don't you leave? Obviously that's a gross oversimplification of the complexity of the situation. And well, at, I mean, it's, it's your attempt to try to help. And, and it is, but it's 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 futile. It really it, it's it is extraordinarily futile because that decision, if that person you know that that individual has to decide that I've reached the stimuli to the For point sure. of where you're right. You know I've reached the excitation. Um, and so I've been struggling with how do you get an individual to get to that state? Honestly, let them talk. Just let okay. them mm-hmm. talk about it and. Um, even David Allen was saying, you know, you can't actually 
make somebody more productive. <laughs> All you can do is ask the right questions such that they, they might see. exactly. So yep. they see the roadblocks in front of them. So I, you know, that's all I could think of is asking the right questions such that they become aware, they become aware or yeah, it's they like feel opening their now. eyes. Basically. Yeah. How do you open yeah. somebody's eyes to like, Oh, this is, this is happening. And I think just what you're talking about is like this building awareness. We always kind of, sometimes you roll your eyes at, but I think that is part of the part of the, you know, conversation and how do you move something like this? Yeah, absolutely. You could, uh, you could build awareness by listening to the rumpus room podcast as you are, or buying a pair of just Brown underwear, feedback free underwear. It is. If you want to become really aware, throw on a pair of those bad boys and walk around confidence, confidence, That's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week when we'll be back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room.